Welcome to another episode of EM Conversations here at Network 5 Emergency Medicine. Hi, my name is Simona, an ED trainee from Westmead Hospital. It's so nice to have you join me for this conversation. I'm currently in Sri Lanka doing a special skills term in emergency medicine at the National Hospital. The National Hospital of Sri Lanka, or NHSL, is located in the commercial capital of Colombo. It's the largest teaching hospital in the country and the final referral centre in Sri Lanka consisting of 3,000 beds. During my time here, I've met a lot of amazing people with so much talent, dedication and expertise. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Indika Dilanrol. He's the head of department of NHSL's emergency treatment unit. He also happens to be the first emergency physician in Sri Lanka. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Lanro. We are absolutely thrilled to have you on our podcast. I have so many questions to ask you, but I guess I'll start with this one. So emergency medicine as an independent medical specialty is relatively young. In Sri Lanka, it became a recognized specialty in 2013, so just 10 years ago. What events led to this recognition and how was emergent care delivered to patients prior to this? Yes, as you said, Emergency medicine is a relatively young specialty in Sri Lanka. We started the course in 2013. The first set of emergency patients start practicing in Sri Lanka in 2018. But your question is related to the events before that. I think the importance of emergency medicine as a specialty was recognized by the government of Sri Lanka. Unfortunately, through a disaster, the silver lining in the dark cloud in the event called tsunami 2004, if I remember correctly where people realize that emergencies are needed to be managed by people who are specifically trained. Uh, to that effect, I think the World Health Organization also has made a query. So the government uh, realized the importance of having emergency physicians, not only treating the emergencies, but when it comes to health economics, like uh, reducing the number of hospital admissions. So they started developing a policy framework which was approved by the government but that policy document thankfully was like is a collaborative effort from all the relevant specialties the colleges in Sri Lanka the Ministry of Health was in that so they had fairly large number of discussions and they developed a policy document as a result of that policy document one of the requirements was to start a postgraduate course in emergency medicine you know, unlike uh, most of the countries, Sri Lanka has an institution called Postgraduate Institute of Medicine affair to the University of Colombo, which is like the central body, which uh, when it comes to the postgraduate medical education for the, all the doctors. So that's how the course started. The second part of the question was uh, how was emergencies uh, carried out before that era? We actually should be thankful to the other specialties, especially the anesthetists, uh, physicians, surgeons. I wish I don't offend anybody by missing them, but they were, I think, the three main uh, core group of people who manage emergencies in, in settings called ETUs, Emergency Treatment Unit. Then this concept of preliminary care unit started functioning. 
There should be a special mentioning for a, an anesthetist called Dr. Dana Pala, who came from the United States of America and who helped us in pioneering the PCU concepts, units where all the admissions initially will go through. So advancement of this is ETUs, and hopefully one day we will have fully-fetched emergency departments functioning in the country. How is emergent care delivered in Sri Lanka now? So Sri Lanka has a mix of government and private providers. In the government sector, which I am functioning, at the door front of the hospital, there are two departments. One is called as outpatient departments, where people generally does a self-triage and then they go there, initially seen by doctors. Most of those patients will not be admitted. They will be prescribed medicines and few basic tests are done. Just like what's happening in general practice in most of the developed countries. So that's one part of the thing. The second part is the emergency care is delivered through a concept called emergency treatment units. Where any critical ill patients are initially managed. They are more focused on delivering care for, shall I say, very acutely ill. In terms of triage category, category one and two, they will be admitted to the ATUs, stabilized, and then most of these patients are generally admitted. In some centers, there have got more surgical-oriented ATU facilities where surgical admissions, surgical critical area, and trauma critical area are managed separately. So we have a system where an OPD outpatient department, A, B, an emergency treatment unit. And there are, in some hospitals, they have separate emergency treatment units for medical admissions and a separate uh, emergency treatment unit for surgical and trauma admissions. And in some hospitals, there's one where every surgical and medical emergencies will be coming to one door. But all these things are mainly category one and two. With that, advancement of the emergency services, emergency treatment units are being gradually now converted into the accident and emergency department based on the policy decrement which I initially mentioned approved by the government of Sri Lanka. So there are few centers slowly but surely progressing into the more advanced A&E departments. That's what the government sector generally does. When it comes to the private sector, it's mostly one single unit emergency treatment unit where all acutely ill patients are initially assessed, surgical, medical, genomes or whatever it is to be. And I should mention that we have rapidly developing pre-hospital care sector, which we fondly call as 1990 ambulance services. So now we are amalgamating the emergency departments and the ETUs where emergency physicians are functioning with the 1990. It's a 24-7 countrywide service provided free of charge. And that's how the provision of emergency care is delivered in Sri Lanka at the moment. You're the first emergency physician in Sri Lanka. You've seen how the specialty has evolved over the course of 10 years. What challenges do you think Sri Lankan emergency medicine is facing currently? Okay, let me put this face on. Any country, I think this started mainly from the USA, then it developed all over the world, went through a certain pathway before establishing accident and emergency care. So I think we are going through that. So when I started practicing emergency medicine, being the first board certified emergency consultant, it was not easy. People did not realize who we are. In fact, we were not treated as specialists. We were treated as glorified medical officers. 
because we don't belong. I mean, we, patients don't belong to us. We initially treat, either we admit or we discharge. So the pathway was definitely not easy. It was difficult. It is still difficult. But, uh, you know, people realize. I think people now have realized, and I hope people eventually will realize it a bit more, the importance of this. Because if you've got a chest pain, you have a heart attack, even the person who does not like emergency medicine, emergency physicians, I'm 100% sure they would love to come to the emergency department. Yeah, they will be treated by a specialized team and the management will be expedited rather than the old school where you come, someone sees, takes a long time from you coming to the hospital and the required medical care is being given. So I don't want to go into details, but we have, we have not only me, all the people who followed me has gone through a lot to come to a state that we are being recognized. And I believe now we have been recognized. Now, if someone falls sick, they would say, okay, go to eat you and then they will do something. So that's a very happy thing that we, we silently admire. I'm sure in Australia also, the people who are the fathers of Australian emergency medicine is having the same story. If you read the American history about emergency medicine, it is the same story. If you read the UK history, it's the same story. Unfortunate thing is uh, when we were coming to a certain state where we were really a force to reckon with, uh, you know, lots of people have to leave the country due to unforeseen circumstances. So as a result, uh, there's a temporary hiccup these days because we don't have, we do have sufficient numbers, but it would have been nicer if we have all the people who migrated the country uh, stayed with us. I'm sure then would have done wonders. So yes, uh, it was a difficult beginning and middle was also difficult. Still it is difficult, but uh, I feel we are moving forward, definitely. I guess there's considerable strain on the Sri Lankan healthcare system at the moment due to this economic crisis. For example, due to issues with government funding, there are medication shortages and problems with equipment. And the other important factor is the migration of doctors to other countries and that significant brain drain. How is the system coping? Current economic crisis uh, has had two problems. One, as you rightly said, about the brain drain. A lot have been spoken of, but it's still happening. So we are basically uh, exporting emergency physicians to countries like Australia and United Kingdom. That's one problem. The second problem is about the uh, infrastructure. When it comes to the infrastructure, there was a huge government-funded program. They were supposed to build custom-built emergency departments as per the accident and emergency policy, I think uh, there are, naturally there were and there are problems with that when it comes to the funding. The second one was to maintain, to upgrade it, the existing facilities like an emergency treatment unit. Now the fundings, I think it's, it's slowly but steadily getting better. But during the times of like the dark period, over the last one to two years, I think the donors were really helpful. So we got donation, major donation from America. Then there was a donation from the Australia. Right? It was for the entire emergency fraternity. So we are so thankful to that. They kept us floating. At that time, you know, in the disaster time, we were basically managing the, like we were having only the, doing the resuscitation medicines. right? But then now things are getting better. Still, we are getting a lot of uh, funding to the government. 
and we are getting a lot of uh, funding from the donors also uh, with the concurrence of the hospital administration we obviously we are taking it so hopefully uh, things will be okay given all these factors what challenges do you think the specialty will face in the future the challenges are mainly i think of the lack of sufficient trained emergency physicians uh, that's a big problem because when you see a 50 to 75% of who got training here is uh, migrating for the greener pastures which obviously has very valid and reasonable reasons that's going to be a huge issue but the flip side of it if you see the the number of people who are coming for the training that's wonderful because the junior medical uh, doctors are still interested about the specialty for the post graduate exams we had we had good numbers so we are going to get good number of registrars training to become emergency physicians that's the good side of it but you know short term we are in a bit of a fix at the moment that's a big challenge but long term hopefully if the economic uh, situation improves people will start thinking of uh, staying back in the country and giving the the country what they uh, like supposed to be giving that's number one problem when it comes to emergency now the second problem is i said getting the funding for the improvement and building new emergency department with the equipment the third problem is the advocacy i guess in the sense that realizing the policy makers of importance of emergency departments because it has an enormous impact on the health budget because if you can discharge people who need not be in the hospital that has a huge benefit to the country to reduce the burden on the health budget fourth problem is uh, you know dispelling the prejudices the myths other specialties are having towards us thinking that we try to own things and uh, that's their patient that we are thinking in the ofan those are the four main problems which i can think of if you ask me more we would love to do something to retain people here giving some sort of uh, economic benefit having a way of diversifying um, so which our college is uh, you know thinking of uh, negotiating with so many so many parties why did you choose emergency medicine i mean it must have been quite exciting given that it was a brand new specialty in sri lanka back then for me i think it is a happy accident i worked as an anesthetist doctor in a unit called cardiothoracic anesthesia if you ask me personal question so then one fine day i thought that i must go to a, another country then i found a country called australia and then i went to a hospital called blacktown hospital i kind of like the speciality because the difference it can make to a one's life you can say so many things but i think that's what i liked about it and the fact that you are treating an unknown patient with an unknown presentation so you basically have to utilize every single brain cell functioning at times and it needs a set of skills which i don't think any specialty will offer you to acquire for it can be a medical it can be a surgical it can be obstetrics gyn it can be pediatrics it can be neonates you don't know what you are dealing with and this, the emergency physician this jack on all trades but a master of non concept it really i liked it because I, i didn't want to be bogged down to a certain specialty or certain organ for the rest of my life uh, the variety that it offers when we are practicing really really was uh, you know put my heart and soul into emergency department and that's how I became an emergency physician. Out of curiosity, and for those who may be interested, what is the Sri Lankan Emergency Medicine Training Program like? The Sri Lankan Emergency Medicine Training Program is 
the requirement for you to be in the thing. You should have obviously an MBBS degree and you should have completed one year of internship, which is uh, you know acceptable by the Sri Lanka Medical Council. You should have worked post-internship as a fully director for minimum of one year. Then there will be a selection examination, which happens once in a year, generally between October to November, conducted by Postgraduate Institute of Medicine under the Speciality Board in Emergency Medicine. So they will have a selection examination, which has uh, MCQs, SAQs, and then uh, OSCEs. So if you get through that, then there will be a three-year pre-MD training. At the moment, because uh, we do not still have an emergency department where we can keep a training for a longer duration of time, so what we have done is we are sending those trainees to multiple specialties like medicine, surgery, anesthesia, intensive care, and then of course the emergency department also because now we've got people. So the training is moving towards more emergency department oriented training from what we had initially because when we started our training, we had no emergency officials in the country. So as a result, to get over that problem, that was how the curriculum was developed. But that was how the curriculum was developed in most of the countries initially. When they don't have emergency vision, they were sent to do all the special, relevant specialties. So medicine, surgery, ENT, eye, neurotrauma, trauma, like orthopedics. There are some other, other rotations also. So after three years of training, there will be another final examination, which is called as MD Emergency Medicine Final Examination, uh, which has about five components. If you are successful in the MD emergency final examination, there will be another two years of mandatory training. So total training duration will be five years. In that two year, you should be here in Sri Lanka in designated emergency centers. Now it's basically emergency centers for one year. Then another one year mandatory and another one year optional training in a center of excellence which is recognized by the specialty board in emergency medicine in a foreign country. There's a lot of, you are getting lots of people from Sri Lanka for the training. So training period will be five years with an option of increasing is to six years, which most people will take. After the completion of the foreign training component, they will be asked to handle a portfolio. After the portfolio assessment, only that they will be told that whether you are eligible to become a specialist in emergency medicine in the country. Then they are be conferred with the board certification in emergency medicine. And that is the pathway anyone has to undergo. In your emergency treatment unit, what presentations are you most likely to encounter on a typical day? As I told you initially, we basically at this stage for our emergency treatment unit, we get category ones and twos. So we see generally about 100 to 110 category 1s and 2s. Mind you, those are real category 1s and 2s. You know, 18 years coming with costochondrite, which has been ending up in category 1 and 2. It doesn't happen here. So cat 1s and cat 2s, it's real cat 10 and cat 2s. So we get all, the entire breadth of emergency presentations presented to us. It can be medical, surgical, obstetrics. And at times pediatric, even though we have a pediatric hospital, one of the largest hospital in the Sri Lanka, a dedicated pediatric hospital, we have been getting few of the pediatric cases and some neonates also. So medical sites, so-called medical sites, we get STEMIs coming with shortness of breath, ending up in severe asthma, COPD, bronchiectasis, pneumothoraces, many people with DK, HHS, uh, 
and then uh, so many acute abdomens presenting to the department and some obstetric cases ectopic pregnancies pb bleedings you know, lots of people with fever septic shock in that category also then people end up in cellulitis necrotizing fasciitis and i forgot to say about the you know famous dengue and people with the dengue shock pure simple dengue hemorrhagic fever and you name an emergency i think uh, we will see a real emergencies presenting to our emergency department the other thing which i want to mention is we are the final referral center in the country so anywhere in the country if you get a, a severely ill patient and if there is an opinion or then management wise they have been transferred here so that's entire different like breadth of presentation that we get you ask me any presentations some of them happy to say whether we are getting it or not thank you so much for those insightful comments dr lanro now we'll just move on to the second segment of this conversation which is a quick q and a so the first question what's the most interesting pathology that you've seen we recently had a transfer from a peripheral hospital a 42 year old male who came with fever and hypotension with a bit of a mild epigastric pain in sri lankan setup fever hypotension and at the narrow pulse pressure is dengue shock until proven otherwise so this patient was transferred querying dengue shock syndrome for the specialized management the patient landed here so we also initially thought rightfully i guess it's a dengue shock because patient's platelet count was also heading towards lower side for some reason for something like 98000 when on admission they gave fluids but there was no expected improvement with the routine management of a dengue shock so we in sri lanka we have a guideline how to give fluid we calculate fluid the total quota for a patient with the dengue shock symptom during the leaking phase and depending on the duration of leak we decide how much of the fluid to give whether it's crystalloids a colloid like dextran or whether it is blood so we were managing but there was no expected response so we thought okay can there be another reason because the patient was having epigastric pain so we took an ecg to find out there was a, a slight evidence of posterior stemming mind you this is a patient who never complained of chest pain who never had any risk factors for ischemic heart disease also so we did a, a point of care ultrasonography to find out so we were in dilemma and find out that he got a huge pericardial effusion so that's alarmed us so we yes in dengue certain people can leak into the pericardium but exclusively pericardial bleeding leading into tamponade effect we haven't seen that much as i said the ecg was a slight posterior stemis generally isolated but difficult to diagnose because they are you might miss it and that's why we call it as stemis equivalent at times we did a troponin sky high we got the cardiologist on call he did a echo his suspicion was there can be a posterior wall rupture of the left ventricle went to the ct suit uh, imaging done confirmed rushed to the theater open it up and it was successfully operated so patient was sent home within one week of time and as always happens uh, we didn't get the credit uh, <laughs> you know i'm sure it's the same in your country also the cardiologists and cardiothoracic surgeons became the hero but we were like silently we were very happy because we knew in the back of our mind that uh, unless uh, that quick diagnosis was made patient was to be treated as for dengue shock syndrome and definitely should have uh, you know uh, perished by this time so that's was one of the interesting pathologies from my which i can tell 
out of the so many presentations that we get for a day. What is something that a patient has taught you? Be patient. What book are you reading at the moment? How to Talk to Anyone by Lily Lovans. This was you know, given to me by one of our good doctors. Fascinating. Who do you consider to be your role model? My father. As the first emergency physician in the country, what is one piece of advice that you would like to pass on to an aspiring emergency doctor? It's an absolutely wonderful speciality. Yeah, you feel that you are in total control of the situation. If you are in the right frame of mind and, and right sets of skills, and you definitely make a difference to one's life. So take it. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Landroll. It was a great pleasure having you on our podcast. And I'm sure our listeners got valuable insights into the development and the delivery of emergency medical services in Sri Lanka. Thank you again. Samotha, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be interviewed by you. Thank you for listening. I hope you can join me for another episode from Sri Lanka with your favorite cup of Ceylon tea. Make sure you email us any questions or comments to westmidedjournalclub at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media for regular updates. Until next time, Ayubawan, which means may you be blessed with a long life.